when you got people in the in the audience that are dancing and you know generally having a good time and probably have had a couple cocktails or whatever they're they're a pretty good gauge they'll tell you when you're doing well or not you know and if they're not telling you know it's not that cut and dry but like you can watch these people and just watch them move and listen to the band and feel if, whether or not you've got them with you or you don't got them with you Hey everyone, it's Keith Billick here with another episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. Welcome back for all you regular listeners, and if this is your first time hearing the podcast, I'm really happy to have you with us. To all of you listeners, I hope you have a great holiday season. Hope you get some nice relaxing time away from work or school or whatever other day-to-day activities you have. Get to relax, hopefully with maybe some family and friends. I hope you all find that pre-war Gibson flathead banjo under your tree because I know you're all on Santa's nice list, right? Either way, hope everyone stays safe and has a lot of fun and thank you for being a listener to the podcast. As always, I want to encourage you to get a hold of me if you have any comments, suggestions, or feedback about the podcast. I can be reached at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. I get emails from listeners all the time, either asking me about different banjo techniques or different banjo bridges, and I I try to be as helpful as I can. So keep the emails coming, and uh, I always enjoy hearing from you. If you enjoy listening to the Picky Fingers podcast, and I really hope you do, I urge you to consider supporting the podcast in one of any number of ways. The main way is to visit the Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash banjo podcast. That's how you financially support the show and help me offset the cost of media hosting and production and equipment. I don't really get paid for doing this, so I do rely on listener contributions such as that. So please consider doing that if you enjoy the show. The other ways to support it are just spreading the word among social media. Feel free to share links to the episodes, tell your friends. Tell the guests of the podcast that you heard them. If you're at a concert and you see a guest that you've heard on one of the episodes, make sure that they know that that you're listening. That's a good way to tell them thanks for uh, participating in the show. And it just encourages more and more people to want to do things like this. I do have an individual sponsor of today's show. It's a banjo player named Mike Jackson. I believe he's in the Washington, D.C. area, and Mike contacted me with basically two requests. His first request was he wanted to sponsor a an episode of the podcast, which, of course, I'm always delighted to hear that people are willing to do that. And his second request, which was totally separate, or so he thought, was he recommended that I track down a banjo player named Kyle Tuttle to interview for a future episode So I was really happy to be able to tell Mike that Kyle actually was one of the next episodes that was coming up. And if he'd like to sponsor an episode, that would be that would seem like the perfect one to do it. So here you have it, Mike Jackson supporting the episode that features Kyle Tuttle. Now, not only am I thankful to Mike for being willing to sponsor the episode, I'm actually thankful that this episode happened at all. And the reason is I had arranged with Kyle a a specific evening that he was going to be playing in town and I was going to meet up with him and sit down for the interview. Pretty routine at that point. However, I got a call late afternoon that my son had apparently got a tooth knocked out at school that day. So 
the the time that I thought I was going to spend packing up my recording gear and making my way over and talking to Kyle, it was actually spent driving all around town for emergency dental visits and and things like that. So needless to say, I, I ended up in a, a hurry and kind of stressed out and flustered, but Kyle was very accommodating and he, he was willing to accommodate whatever my, my hectic last minute schedule needed to be. So thanks Kyle for, for dealing with that. I hope I wasn't too much of a stressed out mess when I, when I showed up. Also thanks the, the venue that Kyle was playing that evening was a, is a room called the parliament room. And that's part of a restaurant called the Otis supply. And they really made a good accommodation for us. They found a, a nice, relatively quiet spot in the corner of their restaurant for me to do the interview. So therefore, as part of the interview, you're going to be able to hear some restaurant noises in the background. And fortunately, I don't even think we scared off any any people, as, as funny as that might have been to see two banjo players sitting in the corner with microphones and everything. But um, So you'll hear some restaurant noises in the background, but don't worry, all of all of Kyle's wisdom and most importantly his banjo playing comes through loud and clear. So what to say about Kyle and his playing? He's one of the most in-demand players out there right now. Anybody who follows him at all either on social media or just pays attention to to what he's been up to knows that he's constantly on tour. A lot a lot of times it's with the Jeff Austin band, but he's always sitting in with different bands around Nashville or going on mini tours with other bands as a fill-in. And it's really not surprising because he's a fantastic player. So any any band that is able to have him either sit in for a show or for recordings or whatever, it's going to sound better because of it. So I think he has a really exciting style. I really enjoyed hearing him. I enjoyed talking to him about what kind of things go into that style. So I encourage all of you to check out his playing whenever you can and enjoy these, this interview with Kyle Tuttle. All right, so Kyle, how's it going, man? It's going well, Keith. Welcome to the show. Thank Thanks you very for much for having Thanks for making the time me. and everything. Yeah, happy to be here. Uh, start by telling me where you came from and how you started with the banjo. Uh, I came from Georgia, North Georgia. I grew up there, and I was a guitar player uh, as a kid, as a little one, you know. Um, I got turned on to the... My, my grandparents sang um, just in church and, and to me as a kid, as people do to children or whatever. And uh, Folk songs. Folk songs, and, yeah, okay. yeah, totally. Folk songs and, and hymns, you know, Southern Baptist hymn stuff. Yeah. On top of Old Smoky and Red River Valley and stuff like that, you know. And I... About two and a half years old, picked up this little toy guitar that they had and started banging around on it and just strumming at it and singing those songs, you know. And so they put me in guitar lessons pretty much as soon as they could. I think five years old was when I had my first guitar lesson, you know, with like a little, like a nylon string three-quarter or half size or whatever so whatever was the easiest for five-year-old kyle to, yeah, to get his hands on exactly yeah, exactly right. and um man i was a guitar player through um about you know 10th grade and i was a rock and roller man i got into electric guitar and i, I had a band with my buddies we played our eighth grade dance you know we right. were playing like leonard skinnard and stuff like that you know 
being classic being rock from Georgia. Stuff. Yeah, cl- classic your... rock and a little a little bit of Metallica and you know okay. sprinkled in some. I was a big Ozzy fan, All right. uh, for sure. And I was kind of a shredder guitar player. And then I discovered uh, the Grateful Dead and and bluegrass music, and that was it, you know, okay. for me. And how did you discover that? Did somebody introduce it to you? Yeah, I mean, I had been around it, you know, I'd been around banjos and 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 that music be, and bluegrass music just being from the south, and it wasn't really. It just didn't spark my interest, you know. I liked heavy, distorted electric sounds and drums and angsty stuff. And I was playing at a coffee shop in my hometown in Cumming, Georgia. And a dude was going... I had played, you know, I don't remember what, a couple songs by myself on like a Wednesday evening on an acoustic guitar. And a dude after me was like, hey, you know, I'm going to get up and play some some bluegrass songs. You think you'd want to play some lead with me on these songs? And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll give it a shot, you know. And yeah. I, was a, I was a competent enough guitar player to improvise at that point and know what key we're in and how to navigate that with a stranger uh you know a lot of that grateful dead stuff can get a little twangy and yeah uh, yeah and well and i and in the in my shred metal stuff my guitar instructor at the time had taught me like modes and theory and uh, and enough of that stuff that i could do a poor job i'll say of of improvising on a bluegrass song you know you might not have gotten the style right but you weren't playing Wrong Bad notes. notes. Exactly. And, yeah, exactly. Okay. Stylistically, I had no clue what I was doing. Harmonically, I knew how to follow the rules and not play something that sounded too terribly bad. And this guy, I guess, could tell that. And so he's like, hey, man, why don't you hop up and play a couple songs with me? And I did. And uh, that was that. I mean, I was pretty hooked on I was like, wow, this is really fun to play folk music with another person, you know, folk style music or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah and. Cool. And very shortly after that, my grandparents had a banjo that nobody in the family played, uh, and they gifted it to me uh, for my 17th birthday. Without you ever having expressed too much interest. They yeah, just said, none. Kyle likes yeah. his guitar, maybe he'll like this too? Exactly. Okay. And I was listening to blue... I was, at that point, I had started playing bluegrass songs and flat picking a little bit, you know, on okay. the, on my guitar. So they were like, oh, well, we've got this banjo laying around. Let's just give him this banjo. Yeah. Uh, and they did. And it's an, it was an old silver tone, plastic resonator, actual hide head, you know, still wow. from the 60s, still a, a piece of real skin, a plastic resonator with a bolt through the back, like okay. through the middle into Yeah, just <laughs> a single flat head screw. Yeah, totally. Right. And uh, it was enough for me to, and some little, you know, country homemade book that wasn't a Mel Bay book or any, anything you'd recognize. I have no idea what it was called. Um, with little hand-drawn uh, diagrams on how to do the stuff. And it was, and the first time I went... <laughs> I was just like, woo, that's yeah. it, man. I'm not, I'm, I'm done, you know, I'm cooked. So that was from there on, from there on I, I just went for it you know trying so to play banjo after you sat in with the guy at the open mic night um what kind of bluegrass stuff were you listening to did you discover any groups in particular that you were taken to uh there was a f- yeah there was a few things there was uh let me th- i can't remember the exact order but you know i had already heard the olden in the way stuff you know and there's the jerry connection there of course jerry's playing banjo and then you got all the other dudes that are really bluegrass right. cats that are on that record you know so i was delving into that and then i was given the del mccurry band album with steve earl you know yeah where it's like basically del's band doing steve earl songs for the most part which again was really cool for me because steve earl's a rocker and those songs lean a little more compositionally towards some rock and roll songs but they're being played by the del mccurry band so here yeah. you got this excellent example of musicianship 
uh, but again, being the song choices kind of crossed into two worlds that I was interested or that appealed to me, and it made me it made it more palatable. Totally. So I try. I sat there and tried to learn all the Rob parts, you know, to that record, and and then years later listened again and realized I didn't know how that how badly I was doing at it at the time. But sometimes not not knowing how difficult it's supposed to be actually helps you. Oh, absolutely. You become more of a fearless absolutely, student. Absolutely, man. That's and, cool. as a, and as a kid, as a young person, I think a lot of young people in music probably experience that. You know, like, not yeah. you don't know how tough what you're trying to do is and you're just so inspired and excited that you just work really hard. Right. And then later you're like, wow, how did I do that? How did I figure that out, man? Or why did I even try in the first <laughs> or place? Or why did I even try, I yeah. Stupid. Exactly become old and jaded and yeah, you know, all that exactly kind of but it's too late by then man you know so were you trying to hold down a more or less traditional style or, or was all of your heavy metal and rock influencing the way you played too like did you start doing a lot of I don't know single string for example because that would have been a more guitar-y I, approach I kind of always had a more guitarish approach and yeah you know I was I was um, sitting and and learning by ear as close as I could to Flat and Scruggs tapes, as well as that Del McCurry band record, and and then some other more trad Del records that I got into from there. But I never hit the Earl Scruggs book, which I regret. I don't know why I didn't get farther into that sooner in my... You know, I knew it existed. I even had it, and I learned a few little things out of it, but I didn't dig in like I should have on Mm -hmm. that stuff for a few years because I was also excited by Bela and, you know, I mean, it's all all of the hip exciting sounds and so I enjoyed bluegrass banjo but I had too many influences going on and was playing in a way that worked for me and involved my version of that stuff until for a few years until I really came around and then hunkered down and got into you felt like you revisited later in totally. time a bit more of a traditional approach totally and got and and got it much better the the second time around you know nice. do you think that I don't know if you had to do it over again do you think that helped you in some way keep an open mind or or it just is what it is i think it just is what it is man it's so hard to say i mean sometimes i sit here and say you know i wish i i wish i had taken myself to task on the real trad stuff and the rudiments of the of the of fundamentally playing the banjo sooner but if i had i wouldn't be the same uh, that i am today for better or worse and and who's to say you know yeah that that's interesting that you came to it a little backwards because when i hear someone like you play you're more or less a modern player you utilize a lot of the melodics and the single strings as well as the scrugs but compared to maybe some of our other modern guys like a a bela or a wes or a gnome where they have more of like a a smoother mellow even sound i hear you as being a little more influenced by like a a twangier, edgy, bluegrassy approach. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Or what, uh, what do you think gave you that? I would. I mean, man, I love bluegrass music, you know, I mean, to, to a high degree. And, and I spent a while, I spent a little while trying to be like 
I can, I can, I can sound like Bela. I want to sound just like Bela, you know. And then I moved to Boston, and then I and I uh, discovered Wes and and became buddies with him. And then I was like, well, I'm, now I want to sound like Wes, man. Yeah. You know, I've worked really hard, not to sound just like him, but you know. And then there was a point where I was like, that's just not me. I don't sound like either of those guys. And also, I think it's worth noting, um, not that it's like exclusive or regional or whatever, but like all of those other three dudes are not from the South. And I am, and I grew up there being around it all, you know? And I, I think there's, um, I really think that there's something to be said musically and culturally for how uh, different places that you live affect the way you might sound, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's true in several, historically that's been true in several American musics, jazz specifically and the blues having, you know, one area of blues is so different than another area of blues. And I feel like that's just, speaks a little bit to where I'm from I, th- I think you know it's pretty common to talk about regional fiddle and banjo styles when you're yeah. when you're only talking about that I don't know why it wouldn't also apply to broader sure broader genre sure. approach so yeah that makes a lot of sense so when you moved to Boston and you and you just dis- decided that you're developing your own style maybe inspired by Wes but uh what kind of things helped you what helped you develop that Boston was interesting for me too because like I moved to Boston to go to school, to go to Berklee College of Music, mm-hmm. um, and I was the fifth banjo player mm-hmm. in the program there. So they still were very much figuring it out, and the other cats that were there um, were mostly fo- mostly interested in developing their bluegrass, stu- you know, stuff, playing banjo music. I was like kind of alone in that I was like really trying to learn how to play other musics, not bluegrass music. You know, I mean, I really wanted to understand harmony and how to improvise in a jazz format at, at a high level. Were they able to accommodate that? Yes. For a banjo player? Yes, but I had to do the, the legwork to make it happen. So, like, basically, without getting too into it, you actually sign up on a computer and the banjo's in the string department. So when you sign up for a class... The, the string department instrument is allowed to take string department classes. That's just how the interface on the computer works, you mm-hmm. know. And I wanted to study with piano players and horn players and take classes that were not in the, not string. In the string department. Yeah. And so, like, I actually had to go to people's office hours, professors' office hours, find the classes I knew I wanted to take, go sit down, with, knock on someone's door and say, hey... I play the banjo, but I'm interested in taking this class. And watch the look on their and, face. Yeah, <laughs> and, and amazingly, man, it was always, like, a surprise, of no doubt surprise, and then, like, enthusiasm. Like, people are stoked. You know, especially, another cool thing is when I went to school, I was 23 years old. So I had been living on my own, and I had been in a touring band, and I was surrounded by 18-year-old kids who were just learning to leave their, be away from mommy and daddy for the first time. And so for... That's a headache, you know, for teachers. Just, I mean, on a basic level, to be around people that age, we all we all know is a headache, man. And so, it was also really fortunate for me that I was a little bit older, and when I could go to those go to instructors and express that I was interested in taking this class that my instrument wasn't set up for, and was willing to work hard enough that that I would hold my own and do the thing everyone was always super stoked about it so mostly i was sitting in classrooms with horn players and guitar players jazz guitar players you know and uh, and piano players and doing a lot of transcribing a lot of ear training um and a lot of classes that where you didn't even have an instrument you know just sitting there doing harmony 
workbooks and, and exercises and, and listening and composition and stuff like that. Do you feel like you still use a lot of the knowledge that you got there? Yeah, it's always coming back, you know, like I'm understanding it better, like I understand it better today than I did yesterday, and I'll understand it better tomorrow. And there's a, like a waiting time almost, you know I mean? When you're cramming that much stuff in your brain, it's, it takes a long time to process it and for it to all sort of come out. And so you said, uh, I'm really long-winded on this stuff, but you said something about my own sound and my own approach at, during the Boston time. And I yeah. feel like I wasn't even close to having that at that time. Like, I feel like I was very much still figuring out what I was doing. And in a lot of those class situations, I understood what was going on, but I couldn't regurgitate it on the banjo as fast as a piano player could because the pedagogy for the stuff we're working on is on the piano. So the yeah. piano guy sits there and says, you know, and then and the, all the piano players in the room and the guitar players hit it back immediately, and I'm over here like, I need to go out in the hall for 15 minutes and work on how this it works on a banjo and then come back in here and I'll be able to play this stuff. That still happens to me all the time if I learn a, a fiddle tune from my mandolin playing buddy. Yeah. The first half is learning the notes and then the second half is learning, you know, you, yeah. can, you can play those same notes a million different ways. Which way is going to work for me? Exactly. And, and be musical. Figure out your the, arrangement the, of at, it. At yeah. least, you know. So, yeah, I was... I was very much in school during that time, you yeah. know what I mean? And, and, and I think you have to go through a period when you're learning things, you sound bad. You have to be willing to get out and fall on your face and not always sound great doing them, you know? And my goal also, it's, it's worth stating that my goal wasn't and isn't to be regarded as a jazz banjo guy, you know? That's just, that's a level of understanding about music that I recognize in that world and uh, and that's sort of the place in American music that gets you the densest harmony and an opportunity to improvise over it and if you can hang even to some degree in that world and uh, and with that understanding of music theory there's really not a whole lot you can't do and wrap your head around yeah do you know yeah. what i'm saying or yeah, at least that, that was my perspective it's, it's somewhat it. of a pinnacle of music fundamentals and, and yeah, like yeah. you said, if you, can, if you can handle that, there's nothing about bluegrass that's going to confuse you. Sure, there, totally. There are stylistic things that you'll have to pick up on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, there's, and, there's, and you couldn't, any, you know, I think going to school to learn to study bluegrass, if that's what you want to do, great, go for it. I think there's a lot of avenues to, to study that that don't involve school. And I, I'm sure the same could be said for jazz, but for me, being a banjo player at that time in my life, it made the most sense to take that academic route so not to put you on the spot too much but what would you say is is something that you that you learned there maybe in one of the jazz classes that if you were to explain it could maybe help everyone something something to work on are there any concepts around the the modes or something that you feel like really helped your progress or was a light bulb moment man I mean, I want to say ear training. I want to say training that, uh, tra getting, gaining the ability to recognize sounds, you know, and be, be able to say, here we are in G major, immediately recognize the sound that that's a major seven chord and it doesn't sound the same as this, which is a six chord. And if you're going to have, I mean, I just went up a major, um, up a minor third and played another major seven chord and like being able to pick those sounds out 
without having a search for them, I think was was huge for me. And that starts with solfege, you know, do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. And being able to sing those things back and recognize intervals and stuff, you know. You think that's pretty important, being able to, being able to vocalize a lot of the things that you're playing? Did that, did that help you quite a bit? It helps me personally to understand it and to communicate with people about it, for sure. You know, yeah. I mean, ultimately, it's all sounds, and music theory is just a lot of words to talk about, a lot of words to quantify sounds. Yeah. You know? Exactly. So since then, what, what projects have you been involved in? I, I, I know that I've heard you on your... Do you only have the one solo album? Is it yeah. called Bobcat? I, it is, yeah. Okay. I have that album out, and I'm working on a second one right now. Oh, wonderful. Mm-hmm. What, other, what other groups have you played with recently? I've been working with the Jeff Austin Band right now for uh, coming up on two years. This, um, the end of this year will be two years. Which is just a you know full time road band. Yeah. There's no recording out on that band, but they're, we're actually in the studio working on one right now. Before that, I was uh, playing in Jenny Lynn's band, Jenny Lynn Gardner's band, um, and we made a record on that project, uh, which I'm super proud of. It was a lot of fun. And before that, I was in a band called Fraser Band with a guy named John Fraser, uh, based out of Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, we made a record. Um, that band is was actually really influential for me and a lot of fun because it's like a fusion band. It's like a, a it's like a the Fraser Band is yeah Fraser Band. It's like an electric, you know, rock bluegrass fusion band or whatever kind of a party band. Yeah, um, which is a lot of fun and I got to play electric banjo in it a lot of the time, which was like really, really great for me. I love it. Uh, do you do you feel like your the Bobcat album is that probably the best representation of your of your playing that's available out there? Or? Yeah, I guess, man. Of course, it's one of those things. Like it's that record's three years old now, and I listen to it, and I'm just like, oh, geez, you know. I feel like I could make that record so much better today, but I think everyone feels that way yeah, ab- about things. But I'm still super proud of it. I shouldn't say it. I'm not saying I don't like it. I'm very proud of it. You know. Right. What's this banjo that you have here? Um, man, this is, a, this is, the pot is a 1979 ode. Uh, I think style C is what they call them. It's a walnut. It's, a, it's like all walnut, maybe mahogany rim. I can't remember. It's walnut resonator. I know that. The neck was made by Robin Smith. Uh, it's a maple neck. Is that radius? I can't it quite. Is. Okay. Yeah, it's it pretty, like it. it's pretty heavy radius and it's uh, also pretty fat. Yeah, uh, pretty wide. It's yeah. I think it's a graduated radius. I can't remember what the dimensions on that are, but it's it's yeah. pretty curved as far as curves go, and it's wide and a jumbo frets too. So more guitar-y. more yeah, kind of a, well, a throwback to your yeah exactly your man. Days. You know, I mean, it's almost with the light uh, with the light string gauge of a banjo and these and jumbo frets. It's almost like a scalloped neck, you know, because <laughs> yeah. like you can't with those old like 
the old Gibson frets from the '60s and and stuff. They're they're so thin and flat that you when you touch a note. You probably can touch the neck, but with this thing, there's no way. I mean, if I was to touch the neck, you're, you're I'm, I'm like tune. bending my note out of yeah. tune, you know. So basically, I'm touching frets and no wood, uh, which I feel like gives you a good. It's easy to move relatively fast and yeah. get get a good clean note without having to work super hard for it. Yeah, which know? is why the the guitarists who use those scalped frets they're the the shredder speed metal guys and yeah, yeah exactly that allows for yeah. a little more of that. You know all yeah. that all that fun stuff. Yeah, I spent my days sweet picking for a little while there. Did you? That's cool. It reminds me of um, I, I think it it says a lot about. Or it, it allows us to understand a lot about Billy Strings that that was his background yeah. too. Yeah, oh sure, he's a, he's totally. a metal kid, and yeah, once you know that about him, it, it makes it sense. Just explains everything about him. Totally. So you you were starting to give me the spiel about your strings, and I I, I told you to hold it for this. Well, tell me tell me again what the strings are and why you enjoy using those. Yeah, so these are um, they're made by uh, the American Made Banjo Company. I think it's just like AmericanMadeBanjoCompany.com or something. I can't remember what what the website is, but they yeah. let you uh, they will let you custom order the string gauges, which is really nice, and they're cryogenically frozen. Mm-hmm. So, I guess what Tom Marisola, who runs the company, was telling me is that somehow cryogenically freezing a metal fundamentally changes its composition in a way that allows it to not rust as fast. <laughs> I don't really understand, man. But but you think it's not just marketing. You've actually experienced and you think they, they last a little longer. To, to me, they feel like they feel better and they don't rust as fast and they sound good longer. I mean, I sound like a commercial, but that's, that's really real. Great. That's really what I think Great. about them. Yeah. So what gauges did you decide on then, if you, if you can um, customize it like that? I've been using for a pretty long time now 11, 11, 13, 20, 10. Interesting. Yeah. That's all, I want to say it's a Bill Keith set he used to use, it's, like the it's, same? It's close. Yeah, Bill, okay. Bill did 11, 11, I think 13 and 20, I'm not sure, and 11 on the top. And what did you say yours was, 10? 10, okay. yeah. Interesting. So... And why is that? Did you uh, honestly? It's because I can't get the I can't get an eleven underneath my railroad spikes <laughs> up there, man. Uh, it didn't. I did it one time, and it was like this doesn't feel good. It doesn't yeah. sound good. Um, but Bill's thing was that it was um, he picked those gauges because they balanced the weight over the bridge in some even way. You know, Bill was very very into math, reasons, man. Yeah. yeah, totally. But also. Interestingly enough, Terry Balkum plays eleven eleven something something else. I can't remember. This isn't the rest of the Balkum set, but and his his thing about it, which I think, as much as I'm sure Bill's right about the math part, uh, Terry's thing is that when you're doing all that scrug stuff, you know, uh, you're getting. Uh, you're playing even though those strings are different pitches. They're having them be the same. Size in a way they're only a minor third apart, so the tension's not that right. Not it's not, it's not really yeah. that different. And Terry says that he likes the way they sound, the way that backup stuff sounds with t- two strings of the same size up there. Because I guess that is a thinner B string than you would normally have. You know, sure, like if you yeah. had an eleven on the on the D, you'd probably have a twelve or thirteen at least yeah. at least on the B. And I've got a thirteen on the G. You know, and a 20 on the D, which is also real light. So basically, I've got like heavy end 
uh, like heavies outsides yeah, and right. lightweight insides, which I don't know. It just it works for me. I like it. Yeah, you know? groovy. Yeah. Um, what what about the rest of this stuff? We have we have some uh, banjo nerd listeners, and they're going to want to know what what bridge you have and the the head. Yeah. And any, any other tricks that you're that you're up to? Man, it's 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 pretty trick free, honestly. <laughs> it's it's uh, and and I don't like to. I'm not one of those people that's constantly making adjustments and stuff. You know, I mean, if I, if I can get it where I'm happy with it, I'm it's going to stay there. Um, so this is a uh, the bridge is made by Robin Smith also because he made the neck you know and he he radius the bridge to, to he did the whole Match did it. the whole setup or whatever yeah it's compensated on the on the third string you know mm-hmm. barely that I had to take it back and and get him to make a little adjustment on that you know uh, it's just like a presto tailpiece that's pretty low not all the way down but but pretty low with like no angle down if you know what that means. I don't really know how you say that the screw that you put in the back that would drive the oh, front end down it's parallel to the yeah, to yeah, the head exactly. but the the whole thing is is close to the head so yeah it's it's not it's not quite parallel to the head it's okay. like a little bit leaning up towards the bridge got know? it um it's a, the head the actual head on this thing is a american made banjo head which is a remo head uh they get them sprayed with their logo it's um, a little thicker, too? It's a little thicker okay. frosting on there, which, honestly, I don't love, hmm. but it's been on this banjo for a really long time, and it sounds good on here, you know? Yeah. I didn't... I've, I've got a few other instruments, and this is the only one that has one of these heads on it, and at the time that I put it on, this was not my main axe, so... And this was the head I had, so I was just kind of like, oh, I'm going to put it together yeah, with that. Yeah, Try that. You know, yeah. yeah, and then as it turns out, I've this one's been on here for years. As you can see, it's... Yeah, I'm, you've worn I'm pretty worn. No matter how much frosting they put on there at one time, it's it's, it's not gone, there anymore. It's gone now. Yeah, it's it's probably time for a new head. But I'm again, I'm one of the. It's like I'm happy with the way it sounds today. I don't yeah. really see the need to take that thing off. Don't and, mess with it and whatever you know. So, but when I do get a new head, I'm gonna go with one of the Remo uh, standard Just frosting level ones. Yeah, yeah. These ones do feel a little weird when they're fresh. Yeah, you I can actually tell. like that. Like once mine gets to where. Kyle has has a, a worn off spot where it's clear, you yeah. know where his his fingers rub, and even though that's not damaging the the head, it's still fine. I always find that I use the tack of the of the frosting to keep my fingers planted, so it kind of annoys me when the, it gets all worn off, and I yeah. usually change them because of that. Yeah, because you don't have any grip. Yeah, yeah like to yeah, cling. Yeah. That cling makes sense. It. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, what, so. You're playing live a lot. What's your live setup? Do you have a, a pickup or a certain microphone that you use? My general setup is, and this is because I'm playing in a, basically a party band. The Jeff Austin Band is a party band, and it is a very loud show. Okay. Um, and the crowds are, I mean, the crowds are loud. And so I got a towel stuffed in the banjo because there's really no other way around it, unfortunately. And I, in that project and with a few other projects here lately, I've been using some effects, you know, some some yeah. electric guitar effects, which takes back takes it back to the like. I've always been a gearhead, man. I mean, I was an electric guitar player as a kid, you know, and so I've always loved amps and sound effects and toys and stuff like that and so i've been i've kind of always been doing that stuff on the banjo but i used to have a very cheap rig that didn't really do it well and i've actually got it pretty dialed into where i can do that stuff now and control it you know so this is interesting you use a lot of effects on the acoustic banjo yeah which ones do you find work the best 
Well, it's it's pretty tough. To, it's pretty to, tough, man. Uh, there's a few things. I mean, delays. You know, there's a, delays. We have we have a lot of stuff with the Jeff Austin band where we're playing a big, long, open solos. You know, and and there's there's times where I can improvise for as long as I want and it's generally expected that I'm going to play for two minutes you know or, or yeah. some, sometimes a three minute a close to a three minute banjo solo and that's a Flat and Scruggs song man I mean those songs are two minutes <laughs> yeah. and 40 seconds long you know so right. it's like to, to improvise a banjo solo for that amount of time and not have it suck or be boring or be over too soon you know be, uh, be um get to the high point sooner than you want it to or whatever because yeah. once you do you know if you once you do that you've kind of done it some, some people can do it multiple times in one ride on a tune but it's not an easy thing to do yeah it's hard and to so, maintain that the interest and the energy yeah and so to you know um there's it's like there's a tune that's got it just starts basically it's an e minor my solo is an e minor vamp you know okay and so you got like a So if I'm going to start improvising on that, one, two, three. Imagine that break, but with a delay pedal. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like there's so much more. You, you got leave a lot of space. <laughs> you don't need a delay pedal. Yeah, you well. Just play. <laughs> easier when there's a when there's a toy that'll do it for you um but so i I use a delay i use an envelope like the jerry garcia sound you know i use i have an octave uh it's so it's your note an octave down and an octave up and i I, the pog yeah and i generally dial my note out of it so you got when (laughs) when, so like for example you can't i can really there's only one note you can simulate it with on the banjo but rather than hearing this yeah you hear i play this and you hear this, yeah. and so turn that into whole lines. It's a it's a wild sound, and you can't use it for a whole solo. You can't use it for you know. I mean, these things are real sparingly. There's one one tune with Jeff where I'll uh, where or in other situations too where I'll uh, almost treat the pog like it's a second instrument, right? Mm. And so like I might play a phrase. I like oh. I like I like call and response with myself I see where you're going yeah, one of them being really me cool. and one of them being the octave sound you know what I mean and you just back and forth like that um, I've got a fuzz that this guy Noise Kick uh, FX is the name of the company he's built a couple pedals for me and he's good with, acu- with stuff that's for acoustic instruments and I've got a fuzz that has a blend on it so basically a dry blend yes okay. exactly so I can choose how much of the fuzz it's not Yes, I'm turning on a fuzz pedal, but you're probably still hearing 60% of my clean sound mm-hmm. and 40% of this fuzz sound, which allows me to control. When you just put a fuzz pedal on a banjo and you start, it's just like it's just a mess. <laughs> yeah. you just wash, <laughs> right. you know? Yeah, that's why I was surprised to hear that you're using effects on the acoustic, because it, it is hard to find ones that, that work right. Yeah, So the, and then like the delay, also with that delay, for example, noise... Um, my buddy Matt at Noise Kick built the delay for me, but it's modeled after a Black Tiger delay made by I can't remember who. But it, what it has is a button. How do you say it? It's a button that that cuts off the send to the effect, but leaves the return. So like yeah, the trails leaves the, the trails yeah. exactly. So because with an acoustic instrument, when you 
turn on an effect and then turn off an effect. It's so A and B, and, mm-hmm. and they're, they're so far apart. So, like, the tr- being able to, like, play a phrase, you know, I might play some big ascending phrase. Uh, and then once I get up there, I can go with the trails of that ascending thing going oh, nuts, cool. but I'll shut it off, and now my... So it stays is, nice and is clear, a fresh, clear has, sound, but yeah. still in my signal, you've got this wild sound happening rather than just shutting it off and having it go away. Uh, so those are ways to make the effect thing play into an acoustic sound and, and, and not, sh- not send the listener, hopefully, too terribly far away from, from what they're hearing, you know? Right, and also g- it gives you a way of crafting a two-minute solo so yeah. that you don't feel like... Yeah, yeah you, it's not just me. I mean, it is just me and some and some boxes, but I'm controlling the boxes, and they're helping me to do that whole thing, you know? So let's say you have a, a two-minute E minor vamp. It sounds like your approach is just start off real simple, maybe almost like a Miles Davis-y thing where you're just uh, yeah stabbing a few notes, totally. outlining, a, totally. outlining a, a basic funky melody yeah. or something. Yeah, letting the band come down. You know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah. you, kinda, you can almost direct the band down at the beginning of something like that just by how sparsely you play you know and then yeah building you know i mean you got you you also have to have a band that knows how to do this i mean one guy can't you, I, I can't i couldn't hop in and do it with a bass player that didn't understand how that worked and make it work or if if i did i'd be lucky you know there's it's just a, about listening right they have yeah to, it's they about have listening go and with you going with you tension and release i mean basically what you need to do is start low build some tension, release it around lower, release it once in the lower level still, then like build it again and release it again in the middle level, you know, and you got to get, you got, when you got people in the, in the audience that are uh, dancing and, you know, generally having a good time and probably have had a couple cocktails or whatever, they're, they're a pretty good gauge. They'll tell you when you're doing well or not, you know, (laughs) and if they're not telling, you know, it's not that cut and dry, but like, you can watch these people and just watch them move and listen to the band and feel if, whether or not you've got them with you or you don't got them with you and you need to stay down low a little bit more and, and, and build, use some more, you know, get, you know, get, I mean, their get, get their attention, man, if that's what you have to do, you know, and then, and then get their attention with some of that and then get them back into just. You know, I mean, just comfortable tension, comfortable tension, comfortable tension back and forth until you really, eventually you're just up there, you know. Yeah. And people are screaming and that's when you're and like, all right, cool. Uh, yeah, you notes know, yeah, exactly. And right yeah, and everyone knows what to do and, it's, and you know, so. What are some other ways to, to build that tension? You, kinda, you just illustrated some, like using dissonant intervals. And, and whatnot. What, do you have any other specific devices, or is it mostly about uh, rhythm and groove and volume, maybe even? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of rhythm and groove and, and volume. You know, I mean, I find that, like, yeah, space, you know, leaving space is such a... First of all, it's not intuitive to banjo players. I mean, we're, we naturally just want to... Yeah. And it's not... So it's it's not intuitive to leave space out like that, you know. Uh, but w- but learning how to play little phrases, um, call and responsing with yourself 
even if it's not doesn't involve an effect, you know, but 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 something playing something low, playing it high up, you know. You know, I mean, yeah. it's like little stuff like that gets people's attention in a way that will get them on board with what you're doing. And then they'll go with, you know, it's a very, um, I feel like those, yeah, those, those long solos are very interactive. You know what I mean? With the, you got to get a crowd, you got to get, you got to make sure the band is with you and knows what you're doing and knows how to build and knows your cues for when you're done and when you're not. And you got to be able to scoop the crowd with you and get them to go with you. You know, that's. I don't really know if there's many more examples of things. Do you have any tips for when you're backing up somebody else doing that? Yeah, 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 totally, man. I mean, you know, you start with just... Just wide open, you know. And then, like, once somebody's going a little bit more, you know... Once they've got some drive to what they're doing, you know, and, yeah. and then uh, build it, you know, just building voicings. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that, just a, a nice up and down with that was just fourth, basically fourth voice, like, you know harmonic ambiguity nothing that I'm really doing there is going to get in the way of that of what a soloist is doing you know so you don't voicing do you mean more or less a power chord kind of kind of voicing no explain a little more what uh, so you're actually doing there yeah so like so like starting on an E second fret on the fourth string an E going up a fourth would be an A second fret on the uh, third string go up a fourth you'd have a D on the uh, B string, third fret, and then another fourth, you got a G on the first string. So that's not, it's not technically a chord because there's no thirds, you know what I mean? So this is a, this is a stack of fourths, basically. Yeah. Um, which I, I said it's harmonically uh, ambiguous, meaning like this could be an E minor chord. This could be an A7 sus chord. This could be a D sus chord. This could be a number of things, you know? And I'm moving it up diatonically for the most part. With an E minor? With an E minor, yeah. So, like, you can make take the whole shape up a whole step. And then, like, when I moved up to up to here this technically isn't fourths anymore but it's really close you know it's I'm, I'm going A on the fourth string D above that G above that and then fourths would be with yeah. that C but like over the E minor thing yeah you know I'm gonna put the B Keep on top B. rather than that but uh, but yeah that's interesting or You know, stuff like that. It's another tension note that you can... Yeah, tension and release within a rhythm part, within the harmony and the rhythm. And then, you know, when when somebody gets way high, especially fiddles, you know, uh, when a fiddle gets into a pattern, Mm -hmm. uh, a bowing pattern that that a lot of times are similar to roll patterns, and you can hear that kind of thing, you know, you can, like, play a pattern... Similar, similar kind of mimicking underneath what someone else is doing, and all that stuff is just things you learn from 
years of jamming with your buddies and then ultimately without in situations that are a little bit beyond bluegrass situations and then ultimately getting in front of a crowd of people where you're like all right i got i need tools <laughs> i need more sounds you know how do i what do i do and fortunately the the jeff austin type of crowd they're very i don't want to say forgiving because there's they're still music fans but they they enjoy seeing you take those chances yeah um, totally man That's, even if you don't a hundred percent of the time sure execute them yeah. perfectly totally they love and that's that you're okay and they're, yeah. they're on the ride yeah exactly yeah. you know and i'm okay with that. i mean man i i wish i was perfect you know i wish that every time i i painted myself into a corner i got out and and so a lot of times i do you know and i'm getting better and better at it yeah. but i don't always and i'm i'm in my wise old age i can say i'm okay with that <laughs> yeah yeah good you're at a, a point of, of peace uh, yeah and you know yeah. You never actually mentioned what, what the pickup was that you use with all the effects. Oh, I feel like gotcha. that's important, too, It right? is. Yeah, okay, so the Fishman Rare Earth banjo mm-hmm. pickup is the one that's in there. Uh, it's just basically right under the bridge with a piece of tape holding the, the, the little metal transducer. I got it pretty much right under the bridge and pretty much as close as I can get the the receiver or whatever you know you want to call the, the black block that's right. in there. As close as I can get it to that little chip of metal that's taped under there. And then there's a towel in it. Not stuffed tight, but pretty much taking up all the space. Trying to clog it up. Yeah, totally. Um, And then I'm using the Felix, uh, the Grace Designs Felix. And in that scenario, I'm actually only using one channel. You know, I just have the pickup, so I'm only technically using half of that piece of gear Mm -hmm. for that show. But I love that thing, man. That's the best. It's the best. Yeah, piece they're of, very cool. It's the best. It makes me sound the best of anything that I've ever used, and I'm do you super add a mic it. for more acoustic oriented? So I, I don't in the Jeff Austin band, and I don't. So I have a, a little electric band that I play with called Tire Fire. It's like my my oh, cool. uh, my little project, you know, my my party band or whatever. You play electric banjo. I play electric banjo and acoustic banjo plugged in through through the same board. Yeah, so I okay. I have an electric instrument. That's re- that's really cool, uh, but that's a different thing. I also use the acoustic banjo sometimes. Then it's the same deal, stuffed with a towel. I mean, we're playing with drums and it's it's loud, yeah, you, you know. And at that volume. point, I'm actually even running the acoustic banjo through the Felix and then into a uh, Fender tube amp. So oh, you know, that's that's that sound. But with these guys, I'm out on the road right now with Town Mountain, yep. um, filling in while Jesse's at home on daddy duty. And, congrats, uh, Jesse. Congrats, Jesse, man. Thanks for letting me hang with your boys for a minute here. <laughs> and I'm having a blast, man. I mean, this is, the, this is so much fun. I can't even describe yeah, I've been, to seeing I've been good, really good friends with these guys for a long time, so it's a, it's a special treat yeah, to, cool. to get to hop out. in. You know? um, it's not just a sub gig for me because they're, they're my buddies. You mm-hmm. know? But as far as the gear on this one, man, because these guys are a bluegrass band, I am using, uh, I don't have a towel. Woohoo! No yeah. towel in the banjo. And, uh, it's back to life. <laughs> and um, so we call the banjo mating call right there. <laughs> no towel, and I'm using the Audio Technica Pro 35 clip-on mic. I'm actually se- I'm not actually blending it myself. I'm sending out both. I'm sending two lines to the front of house. So because they have a guy Nick Jones who's pick up and excellent the mic. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So I'm sending the 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 Fishman Rare Earth 
and the Audio-Technica Pro 35 both into my Felix. Mm -hmm. And then that thing can operate as I could either blend those two and send one line to the house, or I could just treat it as two. Basically, it's two DIs in one box. And that's what you do. That's what I'm doing because they, they have a guy who's really good and... There's no need for me to decide what the blend should sound like. Unfortunately, I can blend it in my ears, so I hear what I want. You hear what he wants. Everybody's he's happy. Good at what he does. Yeah, and he's he's very good. And and uh, yeah, I'm loving it. It's actually the the best live sound that I've ever had personally in a on stage situation. Oh, that's amazing. You know, for a multiple nights in a row. I mean, obviously, I've been in great scenarios, but. I've never been in a situation quite like this for this many days in a row where it's just like, cool, every, yeah, time, every time I turn this on, it sounds the same, and it's really good, man. What a difference, right? <laughs> yeah, it's really nice. Who, yeah. who would have ever guessed that a big part of enjoying your music playing experience might be getting to hear well good yeah. tones? I know. And, Imagine and that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Who'd have thunk it? What a concept. But, uh, you know, there we are. Yeah. So, so if people want to track you down, track down your playing or follow you or whatever, how do they find you um, on, you know, the internet? Yeah, man, uh, kylettuttle.com. That's it. You know, I, I have, uh, there's that album. My album, Bobcat, is a couple years old now, and it's out of everywhere that music is out, you know, and mm-hmm. you, can, you can order a copy from me on, the, on my website. Actually, the only place to buy a physical copy is from me, but you can download it at all of the, all of the download places. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, I have this little project I'm working on right now that's like a half electric, half acoustic kind of A side, B side thing that will is, be is that the band that available you just soon. mentioned with the yeah. So basically, basically it's like the A side of it, or whichever side ends up. The acoustic side is is like similar to the Bobcat album that I made. It's a five piece bluegrass band, yeah. and the B side or the other side or whatever is like introducing hopefully my band Tire Fire, which is like this little party. It's like electric banjo. Plugged in fiddle, electric bass, and drums. Oh, how cool. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, man. And you're already chipping away at that one? Yeah, we, we play around Nashville. You know, I've, I've had it going for about three years, and we have played not a whole lot of shows in that time because it's just a pet project for me. But um, we do some stuff in town, and I've, I've, it's just so fun for me to do the electric thing, you know, that, yeah. that's the direction that I'm leaning in. Yeah, for that's sure. very cool. Mm-hmm. All right, man. Well, I've taken up plenty of your time. I really appreciate you. Uh, getting together with me down here yeah thanks looking forward to the show and everything happy to do it man alright cheers buddy likewise man and that's gonna wrap up this episode of the Picky Fingers podcast with special guest Kyle Tuttle thanks again to Mike Jackson the sponsor of today's episode if you'd like to sponsor an episode go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast you can always contact me, pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. Once again, I hope everyone has a great holiday season. This will be the last episode for 2018, so hope you all also have a happy new year. And I will see you in 2019 for a lot more episodes. Take care. <laughs>